0: Well, I hope you've come uh, mentally prepared today because the Apostle Peter has been speaking powerfully into our lives as a church, and he's going to do that again today. And I think God's got a strong word for us today that it's going to take his grace for us to receive. So I would encourage you to just whisper a prayer to him right there and just say, Lord, give me your grace to receive some meat from the word of God today. Would you do that? Take your Bibles and uh, your study guides. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Once again, we need to go back today to the first century in our minds to um, set the stage for the teaching that we're going to receive. Some first century realities for followers of Jesus Christ. Number one, believers in that day were experiencing persecution at the hands of the government. The government was making it difficult to live as a Christian. Not only that, but believers were being uh, spoken evil against. They were being slandered by the people around them in their world. They were being misunderstood and um, accused of things that weren't true. It was a hard time for followers of Jesus. Third, believers were being taught rightfully. Rightfully that they now possessed freedom in Christ, that Jesus Christ had set them free, and Peter was teaching that, Paul was teaching it, that their primary allegiance was now to God and to his kingdom, which is true, but apparently some believers were declaring that their heavenly citizenship released them from any obligation to submit to earthly authorities. Some of them even felt that being saved gave them a license to rebel. And so now knowing this, let's look at the text that we're uh, examining and exploring today. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Would you please listen as I read? And Peter writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Verse 15, for it is God's will, it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the King. Now this teaching today is going to raise some questions in your minds as it has in mine, but first... Let's just seek to understand what Peter's trying to, to say here. And he's pretty clear. He's talking about authority. He's talking about the authorities that are, that are in our lives and our response to authority. And he's issuing a call. A call to believers. And the call is this. Be in submission. Get yourself in submission to human authority. He starts out, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. How many of you love the word submit? Can I see your hands? It just makes you come out of your chair with motivation and inspiration. The word submit in the original language was actually a military term and it pictured troops arranged under their commander. The word literally means to remain under. And so this is a call to believers in Jesus Christ, to remain under authority. Some teachers have pictured the God-given authorities in our lives as a kind of umbrella that is given to us for our good, for our protection. To submit means to remain under the umbrella of the authorities that God has placed in our lives for our own good. If you're in a rainstorm and you step out from under your umbrella, what's going to happen? You're going to get wet. You're going to get soaked. You're going to be subjected to the elements. The spiritual analogy is that when we step out from under the umbrella of God's protection, we become subject to the elements, the spiritual spiritual elements. We forfeit God's protection over us. We become subject to Satan's attacks, to God's own discipline, and to the natural consequences that come from rebellion. And I wonder, how many people do you know who have paid a price for not remaining under authority? You know anybody like that? I know a lot. So this is Peter's call to believers to be in submission to authority. Now notice several things. First, he's talking about voluntary submission. He says, submit yourselves. Don't make them force you to be submitted. Offer to be in submission to your authorities. There's a countercultural thought. Second, he's talking about submitting to human authority. He says, every authority instituted among men. Not just submitting to God's direct authority, which is a good thing, but to human authority. I had a guy email me recently and he said, Pastor Steve, I only submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. I only submit to God's perfect authority. I do not submit to imperfect, tainted human authority. And I thought, you know, that sounds really spiritual, but it's very dangerous. Very dangerous. Peter says, submit to the human authorities in your life. They're part of that umbrella of protection. Third, he's talking about submitting to every human institution of authority. That's what he says. Not just those we like, not just those we agree with every authority, and then he's talking about not just external compliance with the law, but an attitude. He says, honor the king. That's an attitude, isn't it? So he's going deeper than just our behavior. He's going to talk about what's going on in our hearts when it comes to authority. I think it's likely that many of us have not been taught about God's wonderful plan for protecting us through the human institutions of authority that he places over us. And as a result, many, many, many of us struggle with this. We struggle with authority. Here in the U.S., going back to the 60s, I think, it seems that our default mode here is to be suspicious of authority and to be cynical about our leaders. And certainly some of our leaders have given us some just cause for being cynical about them. And so instead of being in submission, instead of remaining under authority, we want to bust out. We want to be our own authority. No one's going to tell me what to do or how to live my life, we say. Besides that, those leaders don't know what they're talking about. And what Peter is here saying is that that attitude is a distinctly unChristian attitude. So let's talk about God's design for authority for a few moments. Peter now obviously knew Paul. They were contemporaries and Peter and Paul both knew Mary, and so that's how we got Peter, Paul, and Mary. Sorry. Peter knew Paul, and here's what Paul wrote about authority. See if it sounds familiar. This comes from Romans chapter 13 and verse one. Listen, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from, the fear, of, from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Be very afraid, for he does not bear the sword. He does not pack heat for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. In other words, because it's the right thing to do, and your conscience is telling you that. So let's get this now. Paul is saying here that human institutions of authority are whose idea? God's idea. And that to rebel against human authority is tantamount to rebelling against God's authority. And to do so puts us in a dangerous position with God. Now the Bible speaks of four human institutions through which God extends his authority down here on the earth. The first is the government. We just read about it. Government authority, kings, rulers, elected officials, courts, judges, police. Government authority exists. It is ordained by God. It's part of that umbrella of protection in our lives. The second authority structure is the workplace. How many of you have bosses, managers, supervisors? Okay, we all do. That is ordained by God that there be authority An authority structure in the workplace as well. The third authority structure in our world is the family, the home. Authority is delegated to husbands, to parents over their children. And then finally, the church, spiritual authority, pastors, elders, spiritual leaders. Together, these institutions of authority form this protective umbrella over us, and we need them. You and I need human authority in our lives. To the extent that we remain under these authorities, submitted, God says we will remain protected from the consequences of rebellion. Government officials, bosses, spiritual leaders in the church, parents in the home, all have delegated authority from God to lead and to use their power to promote good and to reward good and to restrain evil. And they're ordained by God and charged with using their authority for the good of those under them. Now look at those authority structures. Is there anybody in the room who's not under at least one of those? We're all under authority. But if we choose to step out from under them, to cast off their restraints, have an attitude of rebellion, lead a revolt... We do so, Peter says, and Paul says, to our own detriment and harm. That is the general principle of authority in the kingdom of God. And it is countercultural, is it not? It's certainly countercultural to the unredeemed human nature. And it's even countercultural to those of us who are redeemed. Immediately, we. we read this, and we listen, and we have questions, don't we? Are there questions in your mind? Questions. Well, what about when our authorities are evil, or ignorant, or wrong? What about when we know better than them, or when we don't agree with them? We're going to talk about that in a few moments, but first, we we just need to come to the point in our hearts where we realize and accept as a good thing that God calls each and every one of us to accept, human authority in our lives and to remain under. Back in 1 Peter, you can note that he calls believers to submit to several layers of authority in our culture. He talks about kings, national authorities, the supreme authority in the land. For Peter, it was the Roman emperor. He talks about governors, submit to governors. That's officials at the regional or, or local levels who have delegated authority. He talks about masters. In our context, bosses or employers. And he says, get under authority and remain there. Why? What's the motive that Peter calls us to? Submit yourselves, what does it say? For the Lord's sake. Not because of how great your authorities are, do it for God. That's what he's saying. The motive is for God. In verse 15, he says, it's God's will that you should live this way. In verse 16, he says, live as servants of God. In verse 17, he says, fear God. I love how John Piper puts this. He wrote this, the most important thing this text does is to put all of our social and political life into relation to God. The Bible is not a book about how to get along in the world. It is a book inspired by God about how to live under God. The aim of all of life, including our social and political life, is to live unto God, to live with God in view. So we are called to submit to the authority of our president, our bosses, our spiritual leaders, our parents, for the Lord's sake. It's for him. We do it for God. Notice God's intent in in issuing this call to us. Verse 15, that by doing good... Living submissively under authority, you should what? Silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. What's he saying? Get this. We are called to submit to human authority in order to silence God's critics. Shut their mouths. So they've got nothing to say. You see, how you live your life affects how the people around you see your God. You can live in such a way that God's critics are either emboldened in their criticism or silenced. Your response to authority either fuels the fire of their criticism or puts out the flames. Your lifestyle out there in the world, where you live, where you work, at your school, your lifestyle out there is making the case for Christ either stronger or weaker. Did you know that? It matters. It's either drawing people to Christ or repelling them. Think about that the next time you're tempted to join the chorus of complainers at work. You have those? It's a whole choir, huh? And you're tempted to join in, aren't you? And bad mouth the management, bad mouth the boss. When, when the people of God join in with all that, it hurts the cause of Christ It belittles Christ in the eyes of others and it brings you down to their level. Peter says, submit for the Lord's sake because of God. You say, okay. What about when your boss is a jerk? What about when you think our president doesn't get it? What about when your spiritual leaders have disappointed you or let you down or... Maybe even abused you. What about if your parents aren't even saved? Do you still have to submit? Look at the next section. Verse 18. He's going to address slaves now. Servants, household servants. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. There's the attitude again. Not only to those who are good and considerate, But also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. Now let that sink in. You see, earlier he said, Live as free men, but don't use your freedom as a cover up for evil. He says, Yeah, you were saved. And when you were saved, God set you free, but God has not called you to overthrow the whole social order that you're a part of. That is not his call. You were liberated from the tyranny of sin, yes, but God still expects you to serve your master and to serve him well, whether he is good and kind and considerate or whether he is harsh and unreasonable. And some of those slaves were being beaten by their masters. Countercultural? You bet. You see, he says, serve your master as if you were serving God himself. Because in a sense, that's, that's the case. You see, it's not really about the particular person who's sitting in that chair of leadership. It's it's not about their likability, their education, their training, their reasonableness, or even their competence or their character. It is about their position, the position that they hold, and the delegated authority from God that is inherent in that position. So you say, but, but aren't all those other things important for leaders, for people who are in authority? Well, sure they are. You bet they are. Character, competent, all those things. Absolutely. But are they the basis for our submission and respectful attitude towards them? No, no. Our submission to presidents, parents, pastors, and that person who sits in the corner office, it's not based on their qualifications, their demeanor, their personality, or how nice they are to you. It's based on the God-ordained authority inherent in their position. Well, some people say, well... Okay, I'll submit to my authorities
1: as long as I
0: agree with them. That's not biblical submission. In fact, you could say that submission isn't really even tested until you do disagree with your authorities. That's when your opportunity for submission comes to you, when you disagree. That's when a spirit led, spirit filled, submissive attitude can show itself, is when you're bucking heads when you disagree with your authorities who are over you. All right, well, Peter has opened a can of worms here, has he not? So let's just take it and dump it all out and look at it. Let's talk about the highest office in the land for a moment. In Peter's day, that was who? The emperor, the Roman emperor, Caesar. And during Peter's lifetime, that guy's name was Nero. And Peter said, submit to the king, honor the king. So you say, well, Nero must have been a pretty good guy then, a pretty decent guy. Au contraire. <laughs> he was, by all accounts, a raving maniac. He was incredibly cruel. I mean, I told you a couple of weeks ago that he, you know, he captured Christians and poured tar over them and set them on fire in his courtyard, creating human torches out of Christians. Peter said, honor him, submit to him. What? Where's the call to march in the streets, to demonstrate, to overthrow the government? What are you talking about, Peter? Remain under? What about us here in the U.S.? We don't have emperors here, do we? What do we have? Presidents. And we're not nearly in the kind of oppressive situation that Peter and his peers were in. But how have we done it honoring and submitting, I wonder, to our presidents? Let's think about that for a minute. How about this first gentleman they're going to put up here on the screen? George Herbert Walker Bush, 41. How'd you do? How would you do in honoring that man? Even though you may have disagreed with him about the Gulf War or how how that war was prosecuted, did you honor him for his position? How about this next man? Many people had a hard time honoring this president because of his character flaws, his self-admitted character flaws. But biblical submission is not based on character, it's based on position. How did you do? How did we do as a culture honoring, submitting to that presidency? How about this next president? One of the most despised presidents of our lifetime, George W. Bush, whether you agreed with him or not, liked him or not, did you submit to his authority and did you honor him in your attitude? How about our current president? Wow, U.S. citizens have strong opinions, don't they? On both sides. On both sides. You know what? God tells us to honor him, to pray for him, to have a submissive spirit. Paul said that person in that role is a servant of God, a minister of God. Agree with him? Disagree with him? Just do it respectfully and remain under authority for the Lord's sake. Now, some of you are boiling right now in the last two services. Like, your beef isn't with me, <laughs> it's with Peter. I'm don't shoot the messenger. I'm relaying the message of God's word to you. I gotta be faithful to the word of God. I can't water it down. I can't make it more palatable when it's meat. It's hard to digest. This is the word of God. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Honor the king. Submit. Some of you are saying, well, when can we march? (laughs) Take a stand. Demonstrate. Engage in civil disobedience. I've combed through the scriptures. I found two cases. There may be more. I found these two. Acts 4 is the first one. When government law forbids you from speaking about Christ, like it did with Peter and John, they stood before the authorities and the authorities said, we command you to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John, Peter, the same Peter, years before stood there and said, we can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. You judge for yourselves, authorities, whether we should obey God or you. We will speak about Jesus. And they got hauled off to jail several times. Did they go kicking and screaming? Did they lay down? No. They were willing to receive the consequences for their civil disobedience. So if the government ever forbids you from speaking about Christ, I think it's pretty clear. You can, you can say, no, we're going to talk about Jesus. Do, do to me what you will. That's One. Second, when the government mandates that you do evil, when the government forces you to worship false gods like it did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel chapter 3. Remember that situation? They're standing in a crowd that has all gone to their faces bowing before a golden image of Nebuchadnezzar, the king. And the king says, bow down. And they said, not going to do it. We only worship the one true God. And Nebuchadnezzar said, You guys make me so angry. I'm going to turn the furnace up and throw you in it. Then who will save you? And they said, Our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, I love that. Even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to you. We will not worship your golden image. Do to us what you will. They got thrown in the fiery, fiery furnace and God showed up. The fourth person in the furnace and rescued them and glorified his name. And even Nebuchadnezzar ended up coming to faith in the, in the one true God. So if the government ever commands, forces you to do evil, to worship false gods, you can say, not going to do it. Throw me in the fiery furnace. Take me to jail. I only worship one true God. I only worship the one true God. You say, wow. Sounds like Jesus is calling us to suffer. Yep. <laughs> yeah. To submit to authority and to suffer unjustly. Look at what he says in verse 20. <laughs> I love this. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called kaleo. That's the word. To this you were kaleoed. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Sounds like a good book title. In his steps. In other words, look, if you mess up and commit a crime and... You take a beating for it. You get thrown in jail. Don't pat yourself on the back. That's just consequences. That's just justice. You brought that on yourself. There's nothing especially commendable about enduring that. But if you're doing your best to live good, to do right, to please God, and that ends up costing you something, and you endure that graciously, refusing to fight back, refusing to defend yourself, That, he said, cuts ice with God. That's rewardable behavior. That is commendable to God. Church, we have been called to follow the example of Jesus who suffered unfair treatment at the hands of people that he did nothing but good to. If anybody could have justifiably claimed their rights, defended themselves, it was Jesus. But he didn't didn't. You say, what did he do? Well, verse 22, he committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He put his case in God's hands. I mean, they took him through these ridiculous trials throughout the night of his betrayal. Even the trials themselves were illegal under law. When they insulted him, when they spit upon him, when they mocked him, did he retaliate? Did he fight back? Did he? No. When they nailed him to a cross, did he make threats? Did he he do what I would have done? Listen, buddy, you're going to be a pile of ashes sooner than you think. Ah. (laughs) Jesus didn't do that. What did he say? Father, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. He committed no sin. He did not retaliate. He simply rested his case with God. Into your hands, I commend my spirit. He put himself in God's hands. And that's what some of you need to do. You're being treated unfairly. You're being treated unjustly at work or in a relationship. And you're fighting back. You're expending all this energy defending yourself and making your case. God's saying, look. Put your case in my hands. Do what my son did. Follow in his steps. Follow his example. Put your case in my hands. I'll be your advocate. I'll be your defender. Stop trying to do it in your own flesh. Let them see you suffer injustice with grace. It's very countercultural. It also runs counter to what is taught by many Christian preachers these days. But the truth is this, listen, we are called to live for Jesus Christ no matter what, even suffering unfair treatment as a result and to endure it with a grateful attitude, putting ourselves in God's hands and trusting Him with the outcome. Simple? Yes. Easy? No. It takes the grace of God to live that way say, well, that's Peter. Did Paul believe that? Yeah. Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. wish that wasn't in there. I'm good with believing. It's that suffering part. And it's probably coming. Where did Peter and Paul both get it? They got it from Jesus. said this in Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when people insult you persecute you falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward where in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you there was a famous theologian who lived many 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 centuries ago his name was Origen you ever heard of him? When Origen was a little boy, his heart was so inflamed with love for Jesus Christ that he considered it to be the highest honor if someday he could suffer for Jesus and maybe even die for him. He lived in a culture that was very hostile to Christianity, so that was not unthinkable. His mom got so concerned, as moms do, that her boy was going to run off to the local authorities and turn himself in that she didn't know what to do. Finally, she resorted to the best idea, that she could think of. She hid his clothes every day so he would stay at home thinking that he probably wouldn't risk turning himself in naked. Listen, Jesus is worth suffering for. Let me say that again. Jesus is worth suffering for. The world needs to know that. Satan needs to see that. That's what the whole account of Job is all about. Proving, demonstrating, showing Satan that Jesus is the treasure worth giving all for, worth serving with all of our hearts, even if it's hard. He's the treasure. And he did it. I love having a leader Who is willing to do himself what he calls me to do, to endure suffering graciously. Well, Peter finishes out his thought here by reminding his readers and us that Jesus is not only our example, as he said, follow in his steps, he's our example, but he's also our Savior and our Shepherd. Would you read aloud with me the last two verses of this section? 1 Peter 2 24. And twenty-five. Would you read aloud with me? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I'm learning to love Jesus more and more, aren't you? I mean, not only is he by example, as Peter said here, showing me how to live in the way that pleases Christ, but Peter's saying, you know, he's also our Savior. He's our Savior, receiving in himself the punishment that I deserve because of my sins. He bore my sin and redeemed me from the slave market of sin when I put my faith in him and enables me by his power to live a righteous life for God. That's what he's saying. He's our Savior. He's our example. He's our Savior. And then I love this. He says he's also your shepherd, your overseeing shepherd. You know what the word is, literally? Pastor. Jesus is my pastor. That's, that's what the word is. He pastors our soul, He shepherds our soul. Peter says, thank God you returned to the good shepherd. You were wandering away like sheep, aimless, wandering. And the shepherd came after you and chased you down. And you came to your senses and you turned and repented and ran into the arms of the shepherd. And Peter says, thank God. Thank God for that. And I think today some of us need to return to the shepherd of our soul.